The gospel reading is from Luke chapter 21. We're going to be reading verse 5 through verse 27. You will find that printed on your scripture sheet if you do not have your Bible with you. Hear the word of the Lord. And while some were speaking of the temple, how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings, he said, as for these things that you see, the days will come when there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And they asked him, teacher, when will these things be and what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? And he said, See that you are not led astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time is at hand. Do not go after them. And when you hear of wars and tumults, do not be terrified. For these things must first take place, but the end will not be at once. Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, and in various places, famines and pestilences. And there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons. And you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake, this will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it, therefore, in your minds, not to meditate beforehand how to answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom, which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends. And some of you they will be put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let those who are inside the city depart, and let not those who are out in the country enter it. For these are days of vengeance, to fulfill all that is written. Alas, for women who are pregnant, and for those who are nursing infants in those days. For there will be great distress upon the earth, and wrath against this people. They will fall by the edge of the sword, and be led captive among all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles." until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And there will be signs in sun and moon and stars, and on the earth distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people fainting with fear, with foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken, and then will, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All of November, we 
had been in the Gospel of John all this last year. We'd been in the Gospel of, of John. And we'll come back to that study next week. But this morning, we come to Luke 21. And the reasons that we've come to Luke 21 will be obvious as we work our way through this message this morning. It is New Year's Eve. We're living in a unique time in the history of Western civilization. We're living in a unique time in our nation's history. We are seeing, we've talked about this before, we're seeing the foundations of our civilization being pulled down. Our secular culture is attacking these foundations daily, like an army of tanks and warplanes shelling and bombing the very underpinnings of a Judeo-Christian civilization. So as we close out one year and begin another, I want us to hear what Jesus said to his disciples as he spoke to them about the change, about the destruction, about the chaos that they themselves would witness. Before we come to this subject, let's pray together and ask the Father to teach us. Our Father, we bow before you, bringing the world around us, bringing our neighbors, our friends, our brothers and sisters in Christ before you. You've told us to come before you as priests, bringing our children, our grandchildren, our friends, our neighbors, praying for them, placing them before you. And every Lord's Day, Father, as we come to this point in our worship, we bow before you as a congregation of priests at Christ's Covenant Reformed Church. And we pray for those that you've laid on our hearts. We thank you for the work as we look back over the last year that you've done in the life of Phil Halley and his wife Sally. We will continue to pray for them, Father, but we must say thank you for the improvement in him and his physical condition. Father, we pray that that won't stop, but that actually we pray that his recovery would continue with speed. We pray for Trip Thompson that you will resolve and bring healing to him. We pray for Molly Roberts and healing for her. Oh, Father, we pray that you would destroy this cancer. We pray for Buddy Cater 
Father, we thank you for bringing him safely through surgery this week, and we pray that you would bring a healing in the remainder of this time. Father, it's he recovers. Keep him from any complications. Our Father, we pray especially this morning for Gail Ryan Bailey, Jimmy Lou's sister. We pray for wisdom for the doctors in determining what the best plan of treatment should be. And we pray that you would bring a peace to her that would be beyond imagination. Father, we rejoice at how you have blessed David Mattingly and brought healing. We pray that healing would continue and that, Father, his health would just be completely restored. Give him many years yet here with us. We pray for Joan Schaefer, that the doctors will make the right diagnosis and the right decisions about her. We pray for C. D. Kilpatrick. Bless Janice as she cares for him. And, Father, we pray that you would give him peace, give him confidence, give him rest, Father. Bless Joyce and Ted Johnson. We pray that you would teach them to look ahead for what you've prepared for them. And, Father, we all pray that for ourselves. For even now, Jesus is preparing a place for us. And so we pray that you'll teach us to look forward with anticipation. And we pray that also for Sylvia Clarendon. We thank you for her love and care for Christ's covenant church. We pray, continue to pray for the Canale family, Father, that you will wipe away the tears, wipe away the sadness, bring your omnipotent comfort to bear upon them. And now, Father, we bow before you. These folks did not come to hear John Sartell this morning. They came to meet with you. We came to meet with you. We came not only to speak to you, but we came to hear you speak to us. Oh, Father, we're your children. And we're praying that now as we open your word that you would teach. Teach in a way that John Sartell can't. Father, in the very core of our being, change us. For some of us, that means that you would grow us in Christ this morning. For others, it would mean a change for the very first time. Oh, Father, have mercy on us. Speak to us. Tell us the story again. Change us from the inside out. For the glory of Christ, we pray. Amen. Living in the midst of change, destruction, and chaos. That is an, an appropriate, a very appropriate title for Luke 21, for the entire chapter. Most Christians read this passage and the parallel passages in Matthew and Mark and immediately move to the subject of prophecy and the return of Christ. We read this passage and we say, is Jesus speaking here of just the second coming? Is Jesus speaking here of 
just the fall of Jerusalem, or is he speaking of the second coming and the fall of Jerusalem? Now, I must say that those are proper subjects for this passage. But there is a major theme in this interchange between Jesus and the disciples that is often missed. You see, Jesus was delivering a major message that his disciples needed to hear and that we need to hear this morning. So what was that theme that is often missed? Well, first we must understand where they were. They were in the great temple in Jerusalem. And Jesus told them, as they stared in awe at this temple, Jesus told them that the colossal temple of Jerusalem would be destroyed. He was speaking of some catastrophic event that many of them would see. He began to tell them, read through the chapter, he begins to tell them how to live in difficult days, days of destruction, days of persecution, days of change. He was saying, Matthew, James, Peter, John, the world around you, in your lifetime, it, it will dramatically change. It will be a hard change. It will be a devastating change. He was speaking to his disciples. Get this. He was speaking to his disciples. Put yourself in that scene. He was speaking to his disciples right there. Here's the temple. Here they are. And this is the thing. This is what you will go through. This is what you will see happen. And so what does he say to them? Jesus says, first, there will be inevitable change. Look at verses 5 and 6. And while some were speaking of the temple, how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings, he said, as for these things that you see, the days will come when there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Now, the temple, the temple had the look of permanence. Think Washington, D.C. Think the Washington Monument, the Lincoln Memorial. Think the Capitol Building. This temple had a look of a structure that would endure through the ages. It would be timeless. This temple had been 46 years in the building, in construction. It still had another 20 years before it would be complete. What building do you know today that took 66 years to build? The foundation stones of the temple were as large as boxcars. As Mark was relating this interchange between Jesus and the disciples at the temple, look at Mark 13.1 and look how he introduced it. As he was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, behold, teacher, exclamation point. What massive stones, exclamation point. What magnificent buildings, exclamation point. And it was magnificent indeed. It was one of the, it was a wonder of the ancient Roman world. This temple had nine enormous gates. The gates and exterior were covered with gold and silver. Josephus You've heard of him. He was a Jewish historian, contemporary with this time. He lived through this, and he wrote 
in detail about this temple. He spoke of seeing the temple at dawn. Listen Listen to his words. The exterior of the building could astound either mind or eye for being covered on all sides with massive plates of gold. The sun was no sooner up than it radiated so fiery a flash that persons straining to look at it were compelled to avert their eyes as from solar rays. To approaching strangers, it appeared from a distance like a snow-clad mountain, for all that was not overlaid with gold was a a purest white. From its summit protruded sharp golden spikes to prevent birds from settling on it and polluting the roof. Some of the stones of the building were over 20 yards long, end quote. That building looked eternal. It looked like it had always been there. It looked like it would always be there. Yet Jesus shocked them by speaking of the transient nature of this structure. He said that change would come. One stone, one of these great stones would not be left upon another. The temple would cease to exist. Jesus, of course, was referring to the destruction of the temple, the destruction of Jerusalem that would take place in 70 A.D. But Jesus did not need to be a prophet to tell them that the temple one day would cease to exist. We can say that about anything around us. Everything is always changing. Nothing stays the same. Heraclitus was a Greek philosopher. He lived in the 6th and 5th centuries B.C. He was one of the earliest metaphysical philosophers. He made the observation that if you were to put your foot in a river today and return the next day and put your foot in the river, if you did that, you did not put your foot in the same river. It's not the same river. Because the water you put your foot in yesterday is far downstream. Heraclitus was saying that everything around us changes every second Every minute, nothing stays the same. We've all said, I just wish I could stop the world. I wish I could just freeze this time in which I am right now and be here forever. And nothing would change. What are you saying? I want everything to stay the same. I don't want to change anymore. You were recognizing the truth of what Heraclitus and Jesus were saying. Everything is impermanent. Everything. Try to find something. You can spend the rest of the day, the rest of the week, the rest of the month, the rest of the year, the next decade, trying to find something that will not change. When you find that, let me know. The universe, as we speak this very moment, is expanding If you could live here on this earth for the next hundreds of thousands of years, the night sky, the night sky would have fewer visible stars. 
the galaxies and solar systems are moving away from each other at great speed, and people of long future times will not be able to see the stars that we see today. The solar system is not where it was when I started this message. The earth is rotating on its axis. It's also orbiting the sun. The whole solar system is moving through the Milky Way galaxy, and the Milky Way galaxy is moving through the universe. Here on this earth, the great continents that just seem, well, they don't change, do they? Yes, they're moving. They're shifting. Trees and grass. You can't tell the difference from one day to the other. But they're constantly, every hour, every minute, growing. They're changing. Our bodies are aging with every tick of the second. Aren't you glad you came this morning to remind about how old you are? I preached several years ago at First Presbyterian Church in Jackson, Mississippi. The 11 o'clock service there was televised. I think it still is. And the month later, someone sent me a video of that service. I didn't watch it at the time. Several months later, I saw it, came across it, and I decided to watch it. And as I watched the video, the lights over that pulpit, I guess it was for television, were so very bright. I was shocked when I saw myself in that video under those lights. And I yelled into the kitchen, when did I lose my hair? When did that happen? People, that's what Jesus was saying in this passage. Disciples, you will live with inevitable change. Secondly, he spoke of inescapable destruction. Look at verse 16. As for these things that you see, the days will come when there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be torn down. Temple will be destroyed. He picked out the most permanent looking thing in their vision and said, this is going away. Everything is not only changing, folks. Jesus is saying it's ultimately moving toward decay and decomposition and destruction. This Heraclitus, this metaphysical philosopher, was also known as the weeping philosopher. Why? Because his philosophy of life was so gloomy, so dark. He understood not only that everything was changing, He understood that everything was decaying and decomposing or being destroyed. That was his message. That was his philosophy. Bertrand Russell, the great English mathematician, atheist, and philosopher of the 20th century, was a 20th century Heraclitus. Listen to what he said. It's just like Heraclitus. Listen to what he said. The same laws which produce growth also produce decay. Someday the sun will grow cold and life on earth will cease. The whole epic of animals and plants is only an interlude between ages that were too hot and ages that will be too cold. 
There's no law of cosmic progress, but only an oscillation upward and downward with a slow trend downward on the balance owing to the diffusion of energy. And then he said this. I wish I'd put this on your sheet. From this, this is words of Bertrand Russell, from this, so far as our present knowledge shows, no ultimately optimistic philosophy can be validly inferred. A large number of people have sat in my office in these last 50 years, and they have said something like, John, I'm dying. They meant that the doctor had recently told them that they had a terminal disease and had a short time to live. That's shocking. It's a shocking thing to discover that you only have a few days or weeks or months to live. However, the truth is we're all dying. We're all perishing. That was the message of Heraclitus. That was the message of Bertrand Russell. We're all dying. We have a terminal condition. The writer of that great hymn, Abide With Me, you know the hymn, Abide With Me. In one of the verses it says, Change and decay in all around I see. Not only change, but decay in all around I see. And he goes on, O thou who changest not, abide with me. Inevitable change, inescapable destruction. My mother always seemed ageless. When she was 80, she could easily pass for 50 She was mentally sharp. She walked very fast. She was tall. When she was 87, she flew into Memphis for a visit. As we walked from the gate, I was surprised. I hadn't seen her in almost a year, and I looked down, and I wanted to say, Mom, when did you shrink? You're shorter than you used to be. Now, folks, I did not say that. I said, I wanted to, but I didn't. I kept slowing up because she did not walk as fast as she once did. She was going through debilitation, aging. Aren't you glad you came this morning? Go to our capital. Go to Washington. Go to the Lincoln Memorial, the Washington Monument, the Capitol Building. One day, they'll cease to exist. If we have learned anything since September 11th, it should be this. Who would have dreamed that the two towers of the World Trade Center would disappear from the New York skyline? The great temple in Jerusalem was destroyed only seven years after it was completed. Thirty-five years after Jesus said these words. He was saying to the disciples, as you take the gospel into the world, into the middle of inevitable change, 
and inescapable destruction. So we have Jesus seeking an inevitable change, inescapable destruction, but then he comes, then he comes to an immutable foundation. Now look at, look at verses 10 and 11. Just think back what we've heard. Then he said to them, you know, what's going to happen between the ascension and the return of Christ? Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, famines, pestilence in various places, fearful events, great signs in heaven. He was saying there will always be change, disturbing change. There will always be destruction, disturbing destruction. He comes down to verse 24. He, he says, they will fall by the sword and will be taken as prisoners to all the nations. Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. But then there's this but, this however. Look at verse 27. At that time, they will see the Son of Man. At that time, they will see the Son of Man in a cloud with power and great glory. When these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Do you see it? He was saying, between my ascension and my return, there will be change. There will be destruction. It's inevitable. But all through it, there's a plan. All through it, there's a sovereign God. There's a plan that culminates in the coming of the Son of God and Son of Man. You see, when Jesus enters the picture, someone changeless comes in the midst of change and destruction, there will be, and always has been, and always will be, one constant. You look at this, and here's an inevitable change. Here's destruction, and in the midst of it, here stands the Son of God and Son of Man and His plan. He was saying, take heart, Matthew. Take heart, Peter and John. This is going to be culminated. It's going to be culminated in the one who does not change. The one who owns the universe. He will be returning. You see, this is the great, omnipotent, comforting truth that we see all through Scripture. Look at Psalm 102. Now think with me. Don't get lost here. Stay with me. He says, in the beginning, you, God, laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are like the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will wear out like a garment, like a clothing. You will change them. He says, you will take the universe and put it on like someone puts on clothing, and then you'll take it off. But you remain, look at verse 27, but you remain the same and your years will never end. He chose to use the heavens and the earth in this imagery because they seem permanent. And he says, no, even heaven and earth, even the universe will change. 
but God, you don't. Now, I know that most of you are not sitting there saying, yes, that's awesome. You ought to be. If you understood, you would turn into Baptist and be saying, amen. This is the greatest thing I've ever heard. Because it's all through Scripture. It's on every page. The old theologians, they got excited about it. They had a word for it, immutability. What's immutability? The immutability of God is the changeless nature of God. It's all through Scripture. Look at Malachi 3.6. I, the Lord, do not change. It's a big thing for God to say that. God says everything changes. I don't. I don't. Psalm 119, verse 89. Your word, O Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. Why? You can't change his word. Men take his word and say, we've got to do away with this. We've got to do with this. We've got to change this about his word. You can't change it. It's his word. It's God's word. He's immutable. He cannot change and he will not change. And his word never, ever changes. In Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews, in chapter, what is it? In chapter 1, he goes back and reviews Psalm 102 that we just read. This is how important it is. He goes back, he says, remember Psalm 102? Look at it, 10th verse, Hebrews 1. He also says, in the beginning, O Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, but you will roll them up like a robe, like a garment. They will be changed, but you remain the same. So he just reviews. He just reviews Psalm 102. But then in Hebrews 13, he includes Jesus. Look at Hebrews 13, 8. Underline it. Memorize it. Say it every day. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. This morning, this morning, well, I'll come to that in a minute. So, where do you live? Where do you live? If you had asked me when I came in this morning and said, John, where do you live? I would have said, I live at 60 Augusta Drive, Oakland, Tennessee. But didn't always live there before that. I lived at 3185 Brighton Place Drive in Lexington, Kentucky. And before that, I lived at 27 Woodgrove Road, Memphis, Tennessee, 38117. Do you know where Moses lived? Who can tell me where Moses lived? Anybody know? Well, he lived in Egypt for a while, and then he went out in the wilderness for a while, came back to Egypt, and then went back to the wilderness. Well, let's listen to Moses in Psalm 90, verse 1. You have been our dwelling place in all generations. Now, he was speaking there as a people of God. The rest of the world cannot say the secular culture in which we live right now is not saying, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. No. Moses saying, you want to know where I live? The Lord is my dwelling place. Jesus was saying to his disciples, you don't live in Jerusalem. 
You don't live in the temple. You don't live in Rome. You don't live on this earth. You don't live in the solar system. Where do you live? Lord, you've been our dwelling place in all generations. What does that mean? This is a whole separate message, but we're at the end. What does it mean that he's our dwelling place? It means we build our lives on his word. We live by his word. It means we build not just our lives, we build our families on God's word. My family, Jill's sitting here, Terry's standing here. Our, we're building our hope, we're building our family on Jesus Christ. He's the foundation. We are in Him. That's what we try to hand off to the next generation. Understand where you live. And it's changeless. It's immutable. It's a foundation that cannot be moved. Dwelling in Him, He's our foundation. By the way, that word dwelling that Moses used, you've been our dwelling place. Some translations translate, you've been our refuge throughout all generations. That's not what that verse says. There's a separate word for refuge. The word refuge occurs all through the Psalms. Well, this is not that Hebrew word that's used. It doesn't mean refuge. It means home. It means house. It means dwelling place. That's where we dwell. Do you understand this? Yes, it's January the 1st tomorrow. And yes, the year will bring change and it will bring destruction. Bring all these things. But where we live cannot be changed. It's unshakable. It cannot be moved. The very Spirit of God indwells us. The Holy Spirit not only changed our hearts, He lives in us. It means in our last study in John, I know every person here remembers this. In John chapter 10, what does Jesus say to His disciples? You're in my hand. And who can take you from the hand? Of the Almighty. Who can take you from the hand of the Son of God and Son of Man? The answer is no one. He said, but not only that. You're in my Father's hands. And that's 24-7. That's where we live every minute of every day in the next year. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are in the hand of Almighty God. That is where you live. And what that brings, what that brings, finally, is an insistent steadfastness. Look at verse 37. Uh, it's, I, I didn't record this on the Scripture sheet, so just listen to it. Mark it down, write it down, look it up. It sounds very unimportant. Each day, Jesus was teaching at the temple, and each evening, he went out to spend the night on the hill that they called the Mount of Olives. This was all going to change. Jesus, this is his last week before the cross. Before another week ended, he would be dying on a cross. And yet here he was, going out to the Mount of Olives, going back to the temple to teach. Up to the Mount of Olives, back to the temple to teach. Up to the Mount of Olives, back. What was he doing? He was doing exactly what God called him to do. What the Father called him to do. 
the world today says it has no meaning. Anything you do has no meaning. It's all going to change. It's all going to die. It's all going to perish. You remember Bertrand Russell that I quoted? He wrote a book called A Free Man's Worship. This man was an avid unbeliever, an avid atheist, saying there's no absolute right and wrong. There's no law. There's no God. There's no meaning. And he wrote this. And I'll read it to you in the utmost seriousness because this is where our culture is. All the la- this is the religion of our culture. All the labor of the ages, all the devotion, all the inspiration, all the noonday brightness of human genius are destined to extinction in the vast death of the solar system. The whole temple of man's achievement must be inevitable, buried beneath the debris of the universe in ruins. Only within, listen to this, only within the scaffolding of these truths, only on the firm foundation of unyielding despair can the soul's habitation be safely built. We live in the unyielding despair of change, chaos, and destruction. That's his philosophy of life. That's the philosophy of life of the secular world around us. And so anything we do lies bare, going to end up lies buried under the ashes when it all falls apart. It means nothing. Anything you do as a husband, wife, father, whatever. What does Paul say in answer to that? In 1 Corinthians 15, 54, and this will close with this. When the perishable has been clothed with imperishable, the mortal with immortality. Then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. O death, where's your victory? O death, where's your sting? Therefore, now notice this, circle this. Circle this on your scripture sheet. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Don't be moved by all the change. Don't be moved by all the destruction. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Because you know that your labor is not in vain. Nothing you do is in vain. Ladies, if you're changing diapers, that's not going to be lost sometimes. Or men, if you're changing diapers, it's not going to be lost sometimes under the brewery of the ages. It all means something. It all has eternal significance. The janitor sweeping the school floor has eternal significance, has meaning when it's done in his name. Folks, I hope by this time, I hope when you leave here that you'll say, when somebody says, what's a sermon? It's about the immutability of God, and it is unbelievable. It is wonderful. Awesome. Because that's where we stand. That's where we stand, living or dying. Lord, you've been our dwelling place in all generations. Amen.